Lord Jesus, we pray that prayer with the choir. We say the words, but there's something deep behind that longing that touches a responsive chord in all of us. I wish you'd fix us. Fix me, Jesus. Don't let us leave today unfixed. And let this teaching be clear for your sake. We pray in your name. Amen. Do you know what a primer is? Hmm? It's spelled primer, but you pronounce it primer. If your great-great-grandmother or your great-great-grandfather were here, and by the way, I need to tell you, you have a striking resemblance to them. You've got to be proud of it. If they were here, if you were they, you... hey, I know what a primer is. Because long, long ago, a primer was a schoolhouse textbook that the children used to learn their three R's. What are the three R's? Reading, writing, and arithmetic. So we went to Google. Google, find us a printer, please. And Google found a printer and there, a primer rather, and uh, there it is. That's an old, obviously a, a reading primer. Black and white pictures, old yellowed pages, primers. Primers were for learning the basics. Hence the title of our brand new mini-series that begins today, A Primer for the Next Generation. Because sometimes it is essential that we return to the basics. Because sometimes some people never got the basics. So I'm reading... Roger Dudley's book. I don't know if you were reading this book, if, if this would strike you, but I've got to tell you something. I found it disturbing, this conclusion he comes to. And we, we referenced uh, this, this 10-year longitudinal study in our miniseries last month. Probably, probably the most extensive longitudinal study done in any community of faith, and it was done right here at Andrews University Institute of Church Ministry. Roger Dudley, a member here, and... Uh, He led the research. 1,523 teenagers, ages 15 and 16, the study began with them. They asked them the questions. They went back to them a year later, asked them the questions, went back a year later, a year later. For 10 years, they tracked 1,523 teenagers. They come to a startling conclusion as to why 40 to 50% of them, by the time they reach their mid-20s, have left the church. Adios. Gone. Disturbing, to say the least. So I'm reading. I'm reading uh, Roger's book, Why Our Teenagers Leave the Church. And I come to this line. This is the line that really shakes it up inside of me. Let me read it to you. This is page 58 of his book. To state it bluntly. These are his words. All right, our own Roger Dudley. To state it bluntly, many teenagers and young adults are leaving the church because they perceive it to be behavior-centered when they are looking for relationships. Isn't that something? You know, I think that, that line is so significant, we ought to brood over it together. I wish you'd pull your study guide out of your, uh, 
worship bulletin right now. You've got a study guide, brand new one for this brand new mini-series. Pull your study guide out. You didn't get a study guide, ushers? Can you make sure that everybody here, please, gets a study guide? Hold your hand up if you came in here and you didn't get a study guide, didn't get the worship bulletin, all the way up to the balcony and our overflow, please. And those of you watching on television, we're delighted to have you. We're beginning a new mini-series, and the title of the mini-series, you just heard it, Primer for, I keep wanting to say a new generation, but it's for the next generation. Primer for the next generation, and today's teaching, XNY 101. Hey, Dwight, what does XNY stand for? Listen, when you go to the theological seminary, you learn that the ancient Christians would use Greek letters as symbols. So the letter P... And we have a lady from Greece sitting right here, Ellie Economou. The letter he is shaped like an X, but it's a CH with a K sound. Christos, which is the name Christ. So when they would use what we would call the letter X, it's the letter he. That was a symbol of Christ. So when we were taking notes in the seminary, just put whenever the lecturer said Christ, just put Christ. And by the way, what would this word be? An X with an N. What would that word be? Christian. And what would be an X and Y? Christianity. Christianity. So this is this teaching is Christianity 101. Those of you watching, if you go to the website, put it on the screen for you, and you can see that web address www.pmchurch.tv. You look for the uh, teaching XNY. It's really Christianity 101. You'll find this line. Okay, you have it. You have your study guide. Let's go. Here's the line I want to brood over with you for a few moments. Let me read it again. To state it bluntly, many teenagers and young adults are leaving the church because they, per- they perceive it to be behavior-centered. Write that in. They perceive it to be behavior-centered rather, uh, when rather, they are looking for relationships. Look at folks, this isn't rocket science. It's not hard to understand. When you grow up, as I have, I'm a fifth-generation Adventist, fourth-generation preacher, When you grow up in this community of faith, and most of us have, when you grow up in this community of faith, that accentuates, elevates the authority of Holy Scripture, hallelujah, and the importance of being obedient to the God who is our Redeemer and our Creator. And we don't need to apologize for either of those realities. But when you grow up with this highly convictional, because that's our community, highly convictional community of faith, when you grow up in it, if we are not careful... We can inadvertently and unintentionally communicate to our children that our salvation is somehow based upon these behaviors and lifestyles. Do this and you'll get saved. Does that make sense? They just kind of pick up on it. You don't ever use those words, but the children pick up on it. And by the way, just at a time when children are into relationships and the young are into relationships. You say, no, they're not into relationships. Give me a break. Have you ever been into the uh, cyberspace world? You know about social networking? Watch this. I'm not going to ask the congregation. I'm only going to ask the only going to ask the choir. Okay? I'm only going to ask the choir. Watch this, audience. Choir. How many of you are on Facebook? Put your hand up and be proud of it. Look at this. I rest my case. What's Facebook? How many friends do you have? Sue? You're not on there, are you? You don't have Steve on there. No, I didn't think Steve would be on there. Don't feel bad, Steve. I'm not on there either. How many you got friends, right? It's all about relationships. Isn't that it? It's all about relationships. So, when the young are growing up in a community of faith like this, hungry for relationships, and they perceive that what we are stressing is correct belief and correct correct behavior, 
It isn't hard for a young mind to just kind of say, hey, wait, 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 time out. I think what salvation is all about is making sure you have correct beliefs and making sure you have correct behavior. And when you have that, you will be accepted by God. So it's not rocket science to, to discover. They're checking out. I found out you're not about relationships. <laughs> you're about behavior. And by the way, let's not be too hard on the young. Roger Dudley reports a national survey of Adventist adults. Listen to this. They asked them this question. I'm going to ask it of you. Let's, let's see how you answer it. So this is an agree or disagree response. All right. In this national survey was this question. How would you answer it? A person standing before God is based on his or her obedience to God's law. Agree or disagree? Sixty-five percent of the respondents agreed. That's the wrong answer. Ephesians chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It cannot be based. Nobody's throwing the law out here. But it, our, our acceptance before God cannot be based on our performance, on our behavior. Otherwise, we'll say, I did it. I did it. Hallelujah. I'm here, Jesus. You can thank me. What's wrong with that picture? That's the point. 25%, one-fourth of the respondents got it right. But before we are too hard on ourselves, George Barna, and I subscribe to his e-letter, George Barna, the, the Christian demographer, has done survey after survey, and you know what? He's finding it in evangelical America. Everybody's having a problem with this. We think that salvation is based on what we do to contribute to our acceptance before God. So Dudley finds this out. Hey, maybe it's not, maybe it's not such a bad idea for all of us to get back to the basics. So here's Dudley. You got it in your study guide. You have to fill, fill part of this in, I think. So Dudley, here, here, here he's writing. We have seen that though our youth have heard the words of the gospel of righteousness by grace, grace through faith, our emphasis on behavioral standards has led the majority to believe that they must somehow do something to merit salvation. Therefore, now here comes his punchline. Therefore, through precept and example, we must do everything possible to clarify grace and to break the old hold of legalism. We must communicate a gospel of hope. Without this effort, we will never retain our youth. And now here comes the line that has just been jangling and rattling in the back of my mind ever since I read it. Here it comes. They, the young, will not continue to struggle in a contest that they cannot possibly win. Write that down. They will not continue to struggle in a contest they cannot possibly win. Like the Winter Olympics going on right now. I mean, can you imagine this? Imagine a young athlete practicing and training for a sport she has been told you cannot possibly win. You can't win this. I mean, the rules are so complex. The standards so stringent. The bar has been raised so high. It is impossible for you to win this. I mean, what's the point of all the grueling training if I can't win? How did Roger put it? They will not continue to struggle in a contest that they cannot possibly win. I'm out of here. I can't win this. I'm out. But what if someone comes along and tells me, hey, hey, time out. Hold it. Did you know there is a coach? Who himself has been down this same slope? 
down the same slope, won the gold medal, and is offering, if you want him, if you're willing to have a relationship with him, he is offering to train you to come down this same slope and he will give you the same gold. Now you're whistling Dixie. <laughs> now you got my attention. Don't tell me about a bar that's impossibly high. And please don't keep raising this bar. Every time I turn around, somebody's raised the bar higher. Tell me about a coach that wants to be my friend, that has called me into a personal relationship with me, who will give me his gold if I trust him. That's what I want to hear about. I want you to hear this coach. The greatest invitation this Savior coach has ever uttered are the words you are about to read. Open your Bible with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11. If you've ever read the New Testament, these words are immediately familiar to you. If you've never read the Bible before, these words will be startlingly bold and clear, I pray to you. Matthew chapter 11. The most profound invitation Jesus ever uttered, you're about to read. Matthew chapter 11, the last three verses of Matthew 11. Drop down to verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus speaking, you got a red letter Bible? Whoo, these, these are bright red. By the way, you didn't bring a Bible. You, got, you have to see this for yourself. Don't read it off of the screen. Pull the pew Bible out. Let me give you the page number in the pew Bible, 656 in the pew Bible. Pull that pew Bible out. Matthew chapter 11, the words of Christ, verse 28. Come to me. It doesn't get any better than this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Who here is weary and burdened, huh? Who here? You want to know the truth? We all are. Desire of Ages, reflecting on this most profound of invitations, puts this, renders it this way. Jot it down, will you? This classic on the life of Jesus. Jot this down. In these words, Christ is speaking to every human being. He's speaking to you right now. He's speaking to me. You're just watching on a little piece of technology. He's speaking to you. Right now, come to me and I will give you rest. What are the heavy burdens that your heart is carrying this morning, huh? Saints and sinners alike, trust me, we all carry burdens. Don't we? We just returned, as Pastor Skip mentioned in his prayer, we just returned from Australia. Two weeks down under. Beautiful, beautiful country. Friendly, friendly people. Had the privilege to preach to 800, 850. Turned on for Jesus. Young adults and youth. First in Melbourne, then in Sydney. Four-day conferences in both places. By the way, I need to insert right here. I, I gave a full report with pictures to House of Prayer, so I'm not going to do that here. <coughs> Excuse me. But I need to insert right here. I am grateful for all the prayer cover that came from students, faculty alike, community members. We rode on the wings of those prayers. Trust me. Your prayers. I wrote it up in the blog. You can read the blog. Don't read the blog now. It's in your bulletin or on the website, but uh, read it later. God came through 
Anyway, so we're in Australia. So after the Melbourne conference is over, we're driving up along the beautiful, this, this, this gorgeous Australian East Coast line. We're driving up to Sydney, Karen and I. <clears throat> we come to this little town called Mogo. And we decided to have breakfast at an outdoor cafe, so we ordered our breakfast, waiting for the breakfast to come. When the store proprietor next to the cafe had seen us come in, he, he yelled out a good morning to us. And when we spoke, our accent betrayed us as Yankees. And so I think he was a little bit curious. And once we sat down, he came walking over with a cup of coffee, put it right down on our table, sat down and introduced himself as Chris. And we, began, we fell into an animated conversation. We talked about the weather, we talked about Australia, we talked about America, we talked about the economy, we talked about friends with cancer, and then I brought up God. And Chris says to me, whoa, whoa, I don't believe in God. But, you know, I think about Christ every now and then because my name reminds me of Christ. And I thought to myself, isn't that something? You know, Chris, Christopher, Christ. No God. Australia is a secular, secular nation. Secular to the core. Wonderful, but secular. No God. But I think about Jesus every now and then. How many in the secular West that you and I are a part of are in that same category as Chris? No God, but I think about Christ now and then. Everybody's heavy laden and burdened, trust me. One of the pastors we were working with in Sydney, his name is Gary Kent, great guy. And he's the speaker for the Oceana, It Is Written. So It Is Written is an international telecast. We have our own Sean Boonstra, who's the speaker here. But uh, Gary Kent's the speaker there. Get this. The Oceana, It Is Written is the most popular, most viewed religious telecast in all of Australia. And guess what time it is shown? 3.30. In the morning, on Sunday, it has the highest viewership. You know why? Because in that secular bastion, the reality is that those hardier partiers, when they come stumbling back into their flat or their dormitory room or their home, and in the pursuit of hedonistic, hedonistic pleasure, guilt will leave its numinous undertones in your heart. And to salve that guilt, they turn on their television. And there is Gary Kent talking about Jesus. Doesn't matter whether you're from the secular west or the religious east. No difference. Everybody is weary and burdened in this life. How did that quotation from Desire of Ages go? Whether they know it or not. All are weary and heavy laden. All are weighed down with burdens that only Christ can remove. Such is the condition of the entire human race. Everybody is burdened. So Jesus says to everybody, come to me. All you down under, all you up over, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In this single, simple invitation, it is more than clear, at least to me. I hope I'm not the only one seeing this. But it is more, more than clear to me that Jesus here is offering Himself as the heart and soul of all religion. Of all life, period. Wherever you hail from, whoever you are, come to me. I am what life is about. 
I am what your heart is thirsty for. I am what your soul hungers for. You come to me. I'll satisfy you. I'll give you rest. For your guilt, forgiveness. For your anxiety, peace. Come to me. And I'll give you rest. I believe that Jesus has positioned Himself in this profound invitation to be the center of all life All religion, including our own religion. Our religion. Notice he says, come to me. He doesn't say, come to the church. I love the church. He doesn't say, come to the corpus of truth. Nope, I love the truth. He says, you come to me. I am the only one who can satisfy what your heart is hungriest for right now. Come to me. Now, here's the point. I need you to really be listening carefully now. To the degree... That we forget or we neglect that Jesus is the heart and soul of our community of faith. To the, to the degree we forget it, we unconsciously, unintentionally are forced to shift our communal focus from seeking and growing a relationship with Him to defending collective behavior defined by communal standards. We have nothing else to push. If we are not pushing Jesus, we'll pick something that is unique about us. Maybe it's our unique truth. Ah, that's what it means. That's what life is all about. Our unique truth. Is that it? Our unique behavior. Is that what life is all about? But when it's not Jesus, we have no choice but to shove into the vacuum what we replace it with. And the young growing up in the church say, wait a minute. Is this? Is this what it's all about? How quickly we forget our raison d'etre, our reason for existence. We only exist for one reason. He is Jesus. That's why we exist. We forget. Clearly, the young among us conclude that our behavior focus must mean that correct beliefs, correct beliefs and correct correct behavior are the security of our acceptance with God. They are not. Roger Dudley's study is a startling revelation that it is not a grace orientation. It is not a focus on Jesus that produces disobedience. It's the exact opposite. It's a focus on codified law and correct behavior that produces disobedience. Well, we don't want too much grace. They'll all all leave. It's the other way around. It's the other way around. That's the point. That's why, by the way, we of all people, now listen to me very carefully. We of all people must remember that the Jewish people to whom Christ speaks this most profound of all his invitations, the Jewish people, his hearers, were a people burdened and heavy laden and weary with a myriad of rabbinical rules and regulations that rigidly sought to control communal behavior and dictate personal standards and belief. The bar has been raised so high for Jesus' listeners that they, like the young and Roger Dudley study, they're not going to hang around in a game they cannot possibly win. They're out of here. Jesus is speaking to people inside the community of faith. I'm talking to you, he said. You who are weary and burdened, you come to me. Learn from me. Learn from me. Discouraged and defeated. Too many have checked out. Because the emphasis has been misplaced. Learn from me. 
Uh, Eugene Peterson. The message. Uh, can you find a more beautiful rendering of this in, in a published Bible than these words on the screen? Watch, read it off the screen, will you? Eugene Peterson's The Message. This is Matthew 11:28-30 from The Message rendition. Jesus speaking, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn, and I love this line, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Isn't that beautiful? Wow. So what is the burden you're carrying on your heart, huh? What is the burden you brought to church today? Don't tell me you don't have any burdens. Are you different from the rest of us? Nothing in your life that burdens you? How did you get to be that way? Could you teach us your secret? What is it that burdens your heart? Is it the burden of guilt that troubles your soul? The haunting sense of dis-ease from actions or acts that you are now ashamed of and you can't forget. They're back there. The memory. Come to me. You who are weary and heavy laden. Desire of Ages, continuing that little quote we began a moment ago, fill it in your study guide. The heaviest burden that we bear is the burden of sin. Did you jot that down? The heaviest burden that we bear is the burden of sin. Because there's no such thing as a little sin, is there? No. Oh, it's true. We may shrug off our sins. Oh, my sin. Now, Lord, let me tell you about my sins. My sins are very trite. They're very inconsequential. Certainly not as heinous and as red-blooded as the sins of real-life sinners that I know in this community. I happen to know on this campus. I'm not as bad as Tiger Woods. I'm not. Look at him. Sexual pervert. I'm not like that. God, I thank you I'm not. Isn't that sad? I happened to be driving yesterday at 11 o'clock and I heard Tiger Woods in that national live mea culpa opening, bearing his heart, so to speak. The whole world has been focused too much probably over his moral meltdown. And we all tell ourselves, <laughs> Not me. Hallelujah. We got lost in Sydney. All right? We're trying to return our rental car. So we got lost in Sydney. I'm not only driving on the wrong side of the road. I am driving without the patience of the saints. And I mean... What is the problem with this GPS? The car came with a GPS. We used it the whole way. But it's breaking down in Sydney, obviously. So I said, Karen, we can't go by that GPS. You can't trust it anymore. I should have. <laughs> what is the problem with that guy at that gas station that we just, I just asked directions for? He says there is an exit called William Street. There is no exit called William Street. And now I'm stuck on this toll road. And by the way, a friend of ours that we, we met in Melbourne said, Hey, listen, I was just, just up in Sydney driving a rental car. And look out because they'll nail you. Because... Everything's automatic toll. They take pictures of your license plate. And then they send you the bill. If you have the thing that takes it off your bill, you're fine. If not, you get fines plus the, plus the toll. 
So I'm really scared. And then and, and so I called up that morning from the uh, motel and I said, listen, we're going to drop the car off in Sydney. She said, you're going to cross the Sydney Bridge. I said, no, we're not going to cross the Sydney Bridge. We're, it's downtown Sydney, so we'll be fine. I'm not crossing that bridge. But now I'm stuck on a lane that is crossing the bridge. And they're taking pictures of every, every angle, I'm sure, of that license plate. It's going to go to Hertz and then they'll send it to me with a fine. I am going, I'm saying, what is going on? I not only had to cross the bridge that way, I had to get back on the same bridge, go this way. And again, I was in the wrong lane. And so I went right through all the cameras taking pictures. Look at that. Tourist. An American tourist. Got him. The next morning, I was reflecting in my prayer journal over that experience and realizing before God, That my impatience is nothing more than my ego and my pride shifted into overdrive. And I have the gall to cluck my tongue at Tiger Woods for his problems. I'm telling you, there is no such thing as inconsequential sin. All sin comes between you and God. All sin. That's why no sin is little sin to the Savior. Come to me. Come to me. Hanley Moo. Oh, I read these words years ago and they, 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 I just cannot shake them. I think they're in your study. You've got to put them on the screen. The harlot, all right? The prostitute. The harlot. The liar. The murderer. The pro golfer with a sex addiction. All right? The harlot, the liar, the murderer, the pro-golfer are short of it. He's talking about falling short of God's glory. They are short of it. But so are you. Perhaps they stand at the bottom of a mine and you on the crest of an alp, but you are as little able to touch the stars as they, end quote. You're still a long ways away. Isn't that something? Whoa. Sinners are we all. And so, is it the burden of guilt and sin that you bring on your heart to worship today? God, I am so sorry. Come to me. The Savior of the world to every human being. A simple plea. Just just come to me. The outstretched arms of Calvary, writ in large and crimson, are this appeal. Come to me. You who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Just come to me. There is no sinner I do not love. There is no sin I cannot forgive. Come to me. Don't go anywhere else. Come to me. And I'll give you rest. Fix me. Fix me, Jesus. Fix me. By the way, tiger... Tiger, I heard about your Buddhist philosophy. I need to tell you, my man, that that philosophy will leave you as empty as when you began. The map leads through Buddhism to Christ. He's the only one who can settle and solve the longing of your heart. Come to me, and I will give you rest.
You know what, guys? The longer I live, the older I grow, the deeper grows my conviction that when it's all said and done, Christianity 101 is the simple truth that Jesus is the heart and soul of all life, all religion, all everything. He's the heart and soul. All that we stand for, everything that we do, it's Jesus. I mean, come on, come on, please explain this to me. How else shall we understand these passionate confessions of those who have gone before us? Now your pen's going to be moving and I'm going to fly them by you. The great Apostle Paul. What does Paul say here? First Corinthians chapter 2, 2. For I resolve to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Passion. One thing I stand for, and that's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul again, Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ. Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. Colossians 3.11, Christ is all and in all. Hebrews 12.2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. 1 John 5.12, He who has the Son has life. She who has not the Son of God does not have life. Nicholas von Zinzendorf, I have but one passion. It is He. It is only He. Ellen White, written from Australia. I know that Jesus loves me and I love Jesus. Some nights I have slept three hours, a few nights four hours, and much of the time only two. And yet in these long Australian nights in the darkness, all seems light about me and I enjoy sweet communion with God. The longer I live and the older I get, the more grows, the deeper grows the conviction that the heart of all of life is the utter Christ-centeredness of God's offer. It's all about Jesus. I'm telling you, from stem to stern, all about Jesus. And I dream of a day. Hey, don't you? Come on, tell me. Don't you dream of a day when the church will be a community of people known in this neighborhood, known in this world, as a people whose passion is for Jesus. A people who daily respond to Jesus' invitation. Come to me. Every day, people, to be a community where everybody in the community every day responds. Every day answers that. And by the way, next Sabbath, don't you miss it. Bring your friend with you next Sabbath. Next Sabbath, the secret to how to answer Jesus' appeal every day. Come to me. What should I do then to come to Him every day? I'll give it to you. As pra- as, you'll never hear anything more practical than the teaching next Sabbath. Come to me. But to be a people, a university, where everybody around Andrews University here in Michiana say, man, can you believe those people? I've never seen a people so passionate about the Lord Jesus Christ. What's up with that? I mean, it's just like they're soaked in it. Wouldn't that be something? Hmm? The longer I live, the deeper grows my conviction that Jesus is the heart and soul of life. Which is why with all our heart and with all our soul, we must keep Him here. We must keep Him in the center. We must keep Him always right here in our midst. In every classroom. In every boardroom. In every dorm room. In every apartment. In every heart. The heart and soul of our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God. Oh, God, forgive us. Shifting the emphasis. Shifting the focus. When in fact the heart and soul 
of all religion, of all of life, is the one who says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Oh, Father, we, we need that rest. There are hearts here today, right now, who are longing for that rest. For forgiveness instead of guilt. For peace instead of anxiety. For faith instead of fear. For rest instead of stress. Come to me. Oh, if Jesus could just be standing here and we could look up into His face, would there be one heart who wouldn't come? Grant us that rest. Call us, Father. Day after day, call us, we pray. And while your head is still bowed in prayer, there's no way I can sit down having read in your hearing these words of Jesus without making an invitation. So I need you to listen carefully right now. But your head is still bowed in prayer. I'm going to make three invitations. This is not a call for general rededication. If you have never come to Jesus and you would like today to come to Him, to say, I, Jesus, I think about you every now and then. My name reminds me of you. If you would like to come to Jesus, but your life, ask Him to direct your steps. I wish you'd get out of that pew where you're sitting in the back of the balcony here, overflow room, you're watching on television. I wish you'd make a decision. I give you my life, Jesus. I'd like to invite you to come to Him. What do I have to do then? Do I know? I'll share it. I'll give you a book. I'll give you something. But I want to pray with you. So if you've never come to Jesus, I'd like to invite you to come to Him right now. Number two, if you've never been baptized, you've never stepped into that baptistry as beautifully experienced today in our worship. You want to follow Jesus, bury your past and begin fresh with the rest for the rest of your life with the rest of Christ. I'd like you to today say, Jesus, I'll be... Nobody's going to be baptized today or next week. But Jesus, I would like to make my decision today. It'll never be simpler than right now. I'd like to, Jesus. I'll make that decision. And third, if you have once walked with Jesus, you've wandered away, you somehow ended up here today, and I'm so glad you did. And you'd like to come back to Jesus and ask Him to be front and center in your life for the new chapter. I wish you would come forward as well. Step out of that pew and walk here to the front. I want to sing a beautiful invitation based on these words, come to me. Everybody will stand and that will make it easier to slip out of that pew. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, come home, come home. We'll put the words on the screen. While we're singing these three stanzas, if Jesus is speaking to your heart right now, and you're saying, well, you know, do I, how do I know? I mean, you know, no, look, look. If, if something is going on in your mind right now, 
and he's speaking to you, you sense your heart just kind of going back and forth, back and forth. That's a good sign. That, that's Jesus saying, hey, would you? And so these three categories, you've never come to Christ before. You'd like to follow Jesus in baptism. You want to come back to him. Let's stand as we sing this and familiar words will be on the screen for you softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling. You're in the choir. You're in the overflow. You're at the back of the balcony. I invite you to come to him today. Before we sing that third stanza, last stanza. I want to make sure I'm clear that your response is not coming to the church. You're not coming to the preacher. You're not coming to the pastor. But if Jesus is tugging at your heart right now, you know not like, well, I'm not sure he is. No, if he's tugging at your heart right now, 
I wish you'd make the decision right now. It'll never be simpler than right now. So well, I'll think about it. Do I I'll come back? And no, you can. But it will never be as simple as just now. You're not doing this for me. But if you need Jesus, you've never come to Him before and you, you want to place your life in His care. My wish in this last stanza, you come. I want to have a prayer with you. You've never been baptized. Haven't followed Jesus into the waters where you can bury your past and begin anew. Then you come. You want to come back to Him. You know that if Jesus came tonight, you wouldn't be ready to go home with Him. I want to come back to you, Jesus. I want to give you everything I have. Write the next chapter. Then join. The door's already been open for you. If somebody has opened the door, you can come as well. I'm going to sing this third stanza. If He's speaking to you right now, would you come? And then we'll have prayer. Let's sing that last stanza. Think of the wonderful love He has promised, promised for you. about the rest of us would you like to join me in saying you know Jesus whatever the journey's been heretofore I want you to do whatever it takes to give me that passion for you I want you to be front and center I want you to be the heart and soul of the next chapter of my life I've shifted the emphasis forgive me Bring it right back here to you. You want to send that prayer to heaven? Just raise your hand and say, Jesus, you be the heart and soul. You be my heart and soul. God bless you. You be my passion. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus. You are the only one who can give us rest. You are the heart and soul of all of life. So we raise our hands and we say, please, 
Do whatever it takes. Move us. Position us with that fresh, new devotion and passion for you. Rearrange our lives to make sure you are front and center. We pray. And then, Lord Jesus, for these who have come forward. You've drawn his heart. You've drawn her heart. Seal this moment. All of heaven rejoices with every decision. But let him know, let her know that you will make every step of the journey by his side, by her side. Write the new chapter and let us go out of this place with the joy and the rest of our Savior that all the people say, Amen and Amen.